we wake up and we put on our denim jeans and we know those are cruelty free, right? But that's how it should be with everything in your closet. It's just that that's where we're going with this is we're moving towards a much more compassionate way of living that's openly embraced because it's become the norm. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saver. Hello, my name is Jerry Saver and this is the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. Now, Today, we're taking another look at the field of ethical vegan fashion and I have two guests joining me, Meg and Komi Vora, the founders of Delicate Rain. They're based out of California and they've created a Fairmate eco-friendly cruelty-free label that produces in limited quantities to ensure zero waste, while also being a platform to bring awareness to those issues that usually get overlooked in fashion. That's including sustainability, cruelty and ethics, plus of course the desire to make compassion cool, which is definitely something that I can get it behind. And they will actually be joining us at Plan Based Business Week as well to talk about their brand in even more detail. But today we'll be discussing how their story actually began and what's their approach to building a successful, sustainable vegan fashion brand. Megan Comey, welcome to the show. Hi, Hi. thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Hey, yeah. Sure. Thank you for joining me. Um, I hope all is well over there in, in California. Yes, we're enjoying lovely weather. We always have lovely weather. Yeah. But we'd like to be in Mexico with you. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's kind of hot right now. I mean, I don't know how much heat you can handle. Well, I'd rather be in warm weather than cold, that's right. for sure. <laughs> but you guys have amazing beaches and stuff out there. That we do, yeah. Tulum's magical. Oh, <laughs> uh, you've been? Yeah. There's this vegan fest that's happening twice per year that you should definitely visit. Oh, yeah. It just recently happened. Um, yeah, yeah, right? Two, two weeks ago. And, um, well, the, the next one is in January. So, you know, if you don't have anything on your schedule, come on down because it's, it's a really nice place and, and the vibe is really good. That would be awesome. We're going to have to look into that. <laughs> yeah, no, totally do. And, and I think there's definitely room for, for some more vegan fashion, both in the world and, and at the Tulum Vegan Fest. Yeah. Yeah, we saw some footage online and it looked really awesome. Very nice places. All right. So, um, shall we get this started? Yes. Okay. Now, just just to get a better feel for for who is who, can can you each describe yourself with like five words or one or two sentences? Sure. <laughs> you know, it's funny because anytime somebody asks you a question about how do you describe yourself, you would think that it'd be easy to talk about yourself, but it's actually not. <laughs> it's hard, but. Um, you can talk about your sister and then she, she talks about you. And, and just we want to make sure that we, we know who's, who's talking. So, so that was Comey right now. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see. Five words. Okay. Instead of maybe saying adjectives uh, to describe myself, I guess I would say I'm, I am a go-getter. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's I literally just... I'm really driven by um, ideas and like stuff behind the scenes. So for me, I'm willing to go and do above and beyond to get that goal. 
So I love like creative ideas and just thinking like different ways on how to grow the business. And for Meg, I think she's really good at like execution. So for me, I like, you know, thinking of different strategies in order to like get ourselves to where we need to go. And then I think she's good at like the execution part <laughs> of the Yeah. I mean, I think the way that I would describe myself is Comey has a lot of these elements as well. But um, I would probably just go with creative, passionate. We're both very perceptive, very detail-oriented, analytical, and optimistic because we are, you know, in a new type of, not new per se, but not a very well-traveled genre of business right now. So I think, you know, the optimism always should be and has remained high. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that that gives a pretty good backdrop to, to what we're going to talk about. And I can see how, how you two are probably complementing each other in, in what you do. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll get to that. But ju just to stay with your personalities right now, where what's the source of the vegan values that you're promoting with, with your business? So we are first generation um, born and raised in California. Um, we're East Indian, so our parents, you know, came from India, and we were born here, and they instilled, you know, a lot of Eastern values within us, and that included being born and raised vegetarian. Mm -hmm. uh, and that stems from our father being raised Jain. So he was, you know, following Jainism from a young age. Our grandparents were Jain on that side, and then our mother was raised Hindu, which, you know, also has these deep-seated roots of compassion in it. And Jainism, for those of you that don't know exactly what that is, it's a lifestyle that strongly advocates for nonviolence. So you're basically always existing in a sense of peace. You're never harming any living being. Um, this even trickles down to your diet. So veganism is one thing, but for them, it's a situation that they don't even eat anything that comes from a root. So if you're, you know, being cutting a vegetable that you have to pull from the ground. So if it's like a potato, an onion, a carrot, garlic, because you are going to be cutting the root of that, that's not considered peaceful. That's considered harmful. And so they don't even, they restrict those items from their diet as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see how having that in, in your family would, would instill some, some strong values and strong tendencies for, for veganism. And like compassion, yeah. that's for the most part, you know, just like being very more aware of, um, of what's around you and how everyone can exist together in harmony, if you will. Yeah. How did that translate into society where, where you grew up? Like what's... Because I my, my story is pretty much like everyone else's. I, I grew up eating everything and just then tran transitioned when I was in my late 20s. So what was it like being raised vegetarian and focusing so much on compassion in a society that pretty much revolves around eating meat and animal products? I mean, when you're younger and you're not involved or you're not actively doing stuff like other kids are doing stuff like in terms of like eating meat or 
you know, because we couldn't buy our lunches at the cafeteria because they didn't have vegetarian friendly items. And you couldn't participate if there's like pizza parties at school because you can't eat that kind of stuff. So when you're younger, kids tend to kind of be mean because you're not, you know, you feel like you're alienated and they think that something's wrong with you because you're not like contributing to like what they're doing. And also we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. So we're already sticking out like sore thumbs by our ethnicity. <laughs> but I mean, kudos to our parents for still, you know, make like they didn't, they never gave us the option to try meat, you know, to be accepted into this country. They always stood their ground. And I think that was really important. And we're very thankful for them for doing that. Just it's basically going back to the whole self-awareness thing. You just really start to realize and become conscious of the way everyone else consumes around you. So that kind of like leads to these questions that, you and you know, you just get to thinking like, OK, well, you know, everyone's doing something different here and people shouldn't be penalized or looked down upon because everyone's not doing the same thing. You know, so it just it starts creating these um, questions that you kind of want answered and you just start thinking about, you know, do I feel like I'm missing out? And I don't think Comey or I ever felt like we were missing out, right? Yeah, it's interesting because we have other family members and friends that were brought up vegetarian as well. And then when they reached an age where they were able to make like their own decisions, they had the curiosity to want to try meat. And for Meg and I, we've never had that desire. Mm -hmm. So even if we weren't brought up vegetarian, I don't think we ever would want to because we never understood why would you want to eat meat? I see that. That's really cool. And was fashion also something that was present from an early age? I mean, was it something that you both aspired to do when, when you were kids? I think naturally we just enjoyed the creative outlet of it. Um, I don't mm. think that, you know, when we were younger, we ever sat there and said that, oh, when we grow up, we want to be fashion designers. Yeah. But we always really in appreciated the art and the way it was a way for us to express ourselves and be unique and stand out more so than we already did. But I remember when we were younger for Christmas, I really wanted this like puffy paint set and then I got it and we would just take, you know, the puffy paints and make designs on t-shirts and dresses and stuff. And that kind of stuck with us as we grew up. We started, you know, putting our twist onto our clothing by, you know, cutting up garments or sourcing fabrics when we would go to India to make like these one of a kind dresses. And it was more yeah. so for us to stand out and like have something unique where we wouldn't be looking like everybody else. But I don't think it really hit us to be a fashion designer until later on. Yeah, because like Comey mentioned, it wasn't like this definite defined goal that we were working towards. It was kind of more like, you know, this is something that we're really fond of. And it was always just in the back of our minds. We just always were trying to figure out what is a way that we might be able to incorporate that into our daily lives in some capacity. And, you know, um, I think that we're really blessed in a sense that we found a way to do that while holding on to our ethics and values and things that are important to us. But more so than that, it's also helping animals and the environment. And we're helping create this awareness. And we're part of, <laughs> excuse me, we're part of a much larger conversation that's taking place. And we're glad to be um, a part of it and spearheading a lot of that. What actually brought you to, to that? So what was the actual path that took you to the point where you said, okay, so maybe we should start an ethical vegan fashion brand? 
as we mentioned, our father was raised Jane. And, you know, there is um, there's these pockets in our community, you know, of Jane's like we have a Jane temple. There's plenty of Hindu temples. And, you know, we just kind of saw this opportunity. There was like a desire on the consumer side for those types of items. Like we would always, you know, because we loved fashion also, and we were creating these garments and making like one-offs for ourselves or helping our friends like twist and mold certain things. People would be asking us like, oh, where can I get this? Or where should I go to do this? Or how can I wear this, but not, you know, have fur in it? And, you know, just like questions like that. And as we started to answer more and more of those questions and do it for ourselves, I think it was just something that kind of came organically. Like Comey and I were both working, you know, in different jobs. And we would always just come home and talk about how we wanted to be doing probably anything but that. Not that it was like terrible, (laughs) but, you know, it's just you have like other aspirations as well. And so we always would dream about how fun would it be if we like just could like get away from everyone and everything. And we just had our own company and we had our own rules and just got to do what we loved. And it's kind of a joke. But now looking back upon it, it's like, well, no, that was like kind of like laying the foundation for what we would eventually start doing. And I think it also um, stemmed from just wanting something bigger and better for ourselves. You know, sometimes like you're you're at this job and you become so comfortable and it and you want to like achieve more, but you don't know what to do. And then, you know, X amount of years goes by and you didn't go take the plunge and do something. So I think for us, it was just kind of to a point where, um, like Meg had mentioned, the common thing was we would always talk about these conversations about fashion and we would have like notepads of ideas and sketches. And one day we were just like, let's do it. Let's go and do it. And let's see what it is. And the light bulb ticked too when we, <laughs> when our tastes evolved and we were trying to look for like more luxury quality products, we started seeing that there was a void in the industry um, that offered vegan and sustainable products with impeccable quality such as other designer houses did and so we thought why is it like that and we wanted to put like our spin on it and offer something that had a purpose so at at that point did you both leave those jobs that that you weren't really happy with or did this start as more of a side hustle and and grew into into what it is now yeah we would spend time. I mean, once we got a little more serious with it, we knew, okay, when we get off work, then these are the hours that we're going to spend either researching or sourcing or going and talking to people. There was always an activity that we knew that we were going to be participating in in order to get to where we wanted this to go eventually. That even included signing up for sewing classes and getting into Photoshop and you know, going to like the community college and seeing the other classes that they had, even for like textiles and fabrication, just anything that we could hold on to that we knew that would help us better ourselves mm-hmm. for the future in terms of this business is what we just clung on to. Like we leached onto it. Anytime we saw like a catalog with new classes out, we were like, we got to do this. And we would just figure out how to schedule it, you know, usually just evening and like weekend classes. Yeah. Um, so we had to like work around the work schedule. You said that you had those notebooks and, and sketches for, for a long time, but how long did it take from, from the actual idea of having the business to getting your first product out? 
I would say a good like couple years, like two, mm-hmm. two and a half years, because, you know, you think of it like, okay, when, once you're done with the product, you're going to go launch it. And that's not the case. Like there's so many other holes you need to fill before actually launching a business. And we wanted to make sure that we had like everything ready to go. Yeah. I mean, to the best of our ability at that time. Right. Because obviously like as you grow, it's ongoing. Right. Exactly. So it's like new holes appear, you know, old ones like start to deteriorate. So you need to go back and, you know, pay attention to those. But I think you're right on that timeline. It was like, you know, at least a few years because it just goes into so many other things um, that you want to make sure you're launching. Because for us, it wasn't just about launching a product per se. I mean, yes, we have a product that embodies values and ethics that we're very um, passionate about. But it was always about creating this conversation and knowledge also to go along with it. So it's about creating and putting people onto this lifestyle. It's Mm -hmm. not just, oh, here, buy my product. It's this entire lifestyle that you can embody on a daily basis. And that there's so many other pieces that go into that. It's about aesthetics, your marketing, your branding. Your logos, yeah, packaging, your service. Like there's so many other elements that make the a company a company what it is and just from listening to this um i'm getting the feeling that it wasn't just one product that that launched your brand did you have just a single product at the beginning or was it a collection that that you started with we had um about like a couple many SKUs at the time yeah we launched with um, a collection but now our business model is a little different we don't te- technically do like collections. We're not like on season. We release like products here and there. Um, but that also just supports what um, our zero whole... waste platform. Right. Yeah. One thing that we really like to do is take uh, secondhand fabric or fabric that may be at closeout or, you know, stuff that could potentially end up in a landfill. But it's like we can take it on and then create styles out of that. And that's where you know, limited quantities sometimes comes into play because once you're done with that fabrication, that's what also makes it exclusive because it's not like you can just keep getting it, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, get it while it's there Mm -hmm. and while it's hot. (laughs) So how does your production process look right now? Like what kind of team do you have in place and what roles do, do each of you do? So we have a team of people that we work with. We have people in our factory, so our manufacturers, We have our pattern maker, our sample maker, seamstresses. Do like with like our photographers. Um, And then we have like a quite a bit of like interns as well. But for us, it's in terms of getting the right team on board. It's a lot of trial and error. And also, if we are specifically just talking about the manufacturing side, it's very important to know what their experience has been. So the type of questions that you would want to ask is what other lines that they've um, maybe manufactured for that can give you like a good knowledge about like price points and like the quality. And then also if they've worked with the type of fabrications that you've worked with before, because not every manufacturer is going to be able to do that. Majority of them will tell you they can do it because obviously everyone wants to, you know, get the sale, but um, you have to go in there and, ask them to see relevant samples. You know, if you go in there and you say, okay, I want to have a t-shirt sewn, can you sew it? Yes, of course they can sew a t-shirt. But what are you making this t-shirt out of? Is it 
vegan leather? Is it faux fur? Is it polyester? All these things require different types of machines and different types of finishing and stitches. So you also have to be very well versed in how your end product's gonna look, dependent on the type of material you're using, and then also what type of machine these people are using and what their process is to construct the garment. Now, if, if we compare this to how someone would build like a regular clothing brand, what particular things should founders, designers focus on if, if the goal is being sustainable and of course vegan, and if, if you add in the zero waste dimension that, that you're focusing on? I think the key ingredient there is your fabrications. You just have to make sure that any fabrication that you use is animal free. And understand like what your sources are, because there's, you know, been times where, thank goodness it's never happened to us, but we we know people, we've seen it where it's been, you know, someone will say something is made out of X, Y, and Z uh, fibers and you come to figure out later on that it's really not and they were able to figure that out because of their skilled team you know somebody in their factory actually put them onto that saying hey we can't sew this like this because this isn't actually what it is this actually has this type of material in it you have to really be conscious of um, being able to trace your supply chain and also I think in terms of making sure everything is ethical, you know, because we really make sure that we have the right working conditions and the fair standards and all that in place, you need to actually go to the factory. There's so many people that pass it on to, you know, a product manager, a quality control manager, something like that. But if you've never been to the place that you're producing, how do you actually know what is happening? So that is another reason we started off by wanting to produce here locally like to us so we could be hands-on every step of the way everyone that we work with and everyone as a part of our team on the manufacturing side is all here so we can go in person have conversations with them see what they're doing and make sure everything is up to par for them as well not just because we love their quality we want to make sure they feel good and yeah yeah how about materials because that's that one was really interesting, the, um, what you said about fibers. Was it actually made out of something that, that came from an animal or was it just a fabric that, that wasn't up to standards? Um, something, no, had uh, wool in it that shouldn't have had it. And then um, another scenario was they had found um, not the entire uh, roll or pelt, if you will, but it was like fibers of it was a faux fur, but it was like a multi-level faux fur. So there was different types of furs within one and something in one of the furs that was on this roll was animal or cat hair, something very strange. What do you do about the, the materials? How do you find, how, where do you source them? We try to stay on the radar for a lot of different like trade shows and textile shows. And we go there and we just see like what our options are. We, you always have to be on the radar of like what's innovative, right? And a lot of the times with us though, what we find is there are some great alternatives on the market, but unfortunately they're not good for apparel. You know, like they might be very well versed for like accessories such as like shoes and handbags, mm -hmm. but that's well, the common challenge that we're finding right now is that some of the materials that are so beautiful, we want to utilize, but 
we're not able to because you're restricted on the fit. They're not made for like clothing. It's just like it's not apparel grade ready, right? right? So a lot of times the difference between a vegan leather for accessories or handbag shoes like Komi was mentioning versus apparel is you need to have a certain type of give some sort of stretch you know the body's moving in different ways and your feet do or a handbag would right if you're wearing shoes or handbags so these kind of things and they also have other certifications involved you know because when you're wearing something and that's that close to your body and skin you have a different process in place that makes it apparel grade ready so we're waiting for an you know a few of these like super innovative exciting textiles that have hit the market to step it up a little so we can get on board too and use them in um, pieces one thing that i'm really excited about is the the potential of vegan leather so um I would really like to hear a bit more about it. Like, where do you see the biggest potential and what are some of these innovative materials that, that you're waiting for? So they have the Pinatex. Yeah, the mm -hmm. pineapple leather, which is awesome. Um, they have the mushroom leather. And that's the, the feel and the quality on that is just impeccable. Like, it's just like wearing a super soft suede, if you will, um, fluffy cloud <laughs> that's like a really great alternative to anything that uses like shirling or suede you know out of like the original leather-based items so that's something that we're looking forward to um you had read a, upon something really cool that was an alternative for silk it was the banana silk they have banana silk which it's derived from banana leaves so like the thinnest layer of the leaf is what's like used for the silk um, it's comparable and they have it in certain parts in Asia that are already using it for like kimonos and stuff. It's more of like a lightweight fabric. And so that's kind of something interesting that we want to use in the future. Yeah, we could see it for like dresses and tops because that drape and the flow is just so comparable to silk. So I think that that's going to be a great game changer for a lot of pieces. Because, you know, silk is like in everything. It can be dressed up or down. People love it. And Especially with this I mean, new... Um, they have that spider silk. Oh, yeah, spider silk, yeah. This is like a different texture, though. So, I mean, there's just all these great things that we're coming up with, and we can't even, like, get to the drawing board fast. <laughs> you mean spider silk that's being engineered by both threads? So it's not actual spiders, it's, it's bioengineered? Yeah. I just found out about them a couple of weeks ago, and that's definitely one material that's... Super interesting to me because spider silk, it has some properties that I think it, it makes it extremely versatile, not just for clothing, but for, for other applications as well. Cool. So what's, what specifically do you think should still be improved in, in the vegan leather alternatives market? Like for you, what, what would really make a difference? I think kind of what we had touched upon earlier, making the leather be more apparel friendly mm -hmm. versus like accessory friendly, because that's what our biggest limit is right now. Like Meg said, it's like we have all these ideas on like how to utilize the fabric. But then once we find out that they don't have that flexibility or stretch where it could be used for apparel, that's kind of when we have to like sit back and wait until <laughs> the demand is there. But I mean, it's also helpful to talk to the vendors and reach out and just kind of like introduce yourself and know that so that you're on their radar as well and know that, you know, there are companies that are wanting 
to use your fabrications. Mm -hmm. And so that might give them an idea to expand their, you know, product category as well and have like a different income stream for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes such a difference. You're right, Comey. It's like um, when you are reaching out and you're consistently continuing this dialogue, right? So they know that there is a demand for it. And it's only when it's even with um, consumers, it's like, we love hearing when consumers reach out to, you know, whether it's us or company, just vegan companies in general, and they're letting their voice be known. So people understand that this is not a flyby hobby. This is actually a thing that people are gravitating towards. They want these kind of products by consumers continuously making their voice known. I think that fuels the demand and that helps companies be able to create products that are well received. And it's just a good domino effect. And I, I think that gives us a perfect opportunity to transition to, to talking about your, your marketing and, and your brand building, if we're talking about growing demand and, and consumers' voices. So how did you go about doing that? Like, how did you start building your brand in terms of recognition, defining what the brand is, and finding and speaking to your target audience and the the brand ambassadors that then carry the message? For us, we always started off with a very specific aesthetic. We always knew how we wanted it to be presented and who we wanted to talk to and how we wanted it to be perceived. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people spend a lot of time on. They just, you know, get ahead of themselves and they just run out there and they throw it all together and you will see one thing on their website and maybe you go to their Facebook page and it's the same company, but you would never know it because nothing's cohesive. And I think that's a huge problem for a lot of people. For us, we saw that there was a lot of companies in this particular sector, especially that just, that wasn't their strong suit, if you will, you know, like amazing products, great messages great customer service. They had the box checked correctly in so many areas, but in terms of how to create the bigger picture, I don't know if a lot of people were spending time there. And that was something that was really important to Comey and I was to make sure that the message was cohesive and well-received no matter where you were. You should be able to see our logo or our product and know automatically where it comes from and who it is, just like you are able to do with bigger luxury designer houses. Also, like really understanding like your demographics. So if you're looking at other vegan companies, you know, that might not be the same marketing strategy that will be a good fit for you. For instance, if you're having a higher price point, you might not be selling your products that may be like a certain vegan festival because like everybody else that other companies that are there might be at a lower price point. So you might not be talking to the same market, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And um, I mean, even to to my very untrained eye, just looking at your website and, and what you have in your online store, you can definitely see the style there. You see that pretty much all the products kind of tying together. And I understand what, what you're talking about there when you said that, yeah, there's like a certain coherence to, to everything that you're creating. Well, thank you for noticing that. <laughs> yes, that's one aspect of it. But it's also how are you 
talking to your audience. So if you're using social media, are you using Facebook posts? Are you, and by social media, I meant like Instagram mm -hmm. or Twitter. Um, Facebook is obviously social media, but you know, Facebook has a little more depth there where you can do ads and, you know, promote posts and Instagram's getting into that now. Are you using Pinterest? Are you emailing newsletter blast? All these things should and look the same. And by the same, I don't mean content per se, because you don't want to repeat content everywhere either. That gets boring and stagnant. But they should be able to know your tone, your voice. What is your voice? You can't have one voice on one platform and then something completely different on another platform. Yes, you're going to tweak it uh, within your boundaries for each platform because you might not have the same audience everywhere, but it can't be so different that people are lost. They don't know who you are anymore. Another thing is also to keep in mind is that the focus shouldn't be having a presence on every single social media platform right. because that is not necessary. You need to know what social media avenue is good for you and what's resonating with your audience mm -hmm. and then just working on that. Um, because you don't want to get lost in the shuffle. You don't want to have like seven accounts open on different social media platforms. And then you're not being able to perform and deliver on those platforms. So just see where your audience is, where you're getting the most engagement and then mm -hmm. just continue the conversation there. And make sure you understand what content is relevant also. Like Comey was saying, if you're working with just like two or three platforms, you want to make sure that you know your audience well enough on those various platforms. So when you're putting out content and delivering certain things, it's matching that audience's perception of what should be there. So what is it that works for you in, in terms of channels for, for speaking to your audience or just marketing channels in general? I think for us, a really big one is Instagram. Um, I think it's because we, since we are a fashion company, naturally people want to see more like visuals. Mm -hmm. And then another feature that Instagram has is Insta Stories, oh, yeah. which is like similar to Snapchat, um, where they kind of get a glimpse in your life like for 24 hours and then it deletes. And we found that a lot of people like that as well because they kind of get to see like behind the scenes of like what's happening on a day to day or whenever we are posting. And people like to see that because sometimes it's hard to capture what's happening behind the scenes in a photo. So they like to see the action. And I don't know, I think also with Twitter, we that's kind of a good one for us as well, because we like to um, we have a blogazine called DR Diary and basically what that highlights is um, a bunch of different cruelty-free, sustainable, and vegan products anywhere across the range from beauty, fashion, travel, lifestyle, yeah, restaurants, everything. And um, we use that more as a platform to encourage readers or followers to come to the site and read that and then also like engage on the website if they want to see anything else. Just so. like an overall... Um lifestyle situation for them they can come and just no matter what you're doing you're going to learn something you know whether you're learning about a product you're learning about you know the newest eyeliner that's cruelty free that's out right now there we like to have something there for everyone um food's a big component on there too i think twitter for us is another platform that allows us to drop a little knowledge if you will like it's more about it's the, more news oriented yeah and so we know that our audience is definitely different on Twitter. Those are the kind of things that really work for them, you know, is 
when you're talking about facts, you're tying in certain pop culture relevances to what's happening in your company. Or if, you know, we go to an event and it has certain vegan highlights from there. There's like a lot of different things that we can do on Twitter. And um, what's great about that is you can also push that to what Comey was talking about, Insta story. Like if we, you know, we're highlighting something, then people can go to our Instagram and see the visuals of it or see the Insta story of that day. We're able to work back and forth between those platforms a lot. Yeah, that, that's a really cool way of, of complementing them because uh, Instagram and Twitter are pretty far apart in terms of content that you're, you're usually putting out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's great to see sometimes people that may not be following you on one or the other platform. And when you are, you know, cross promoting this, or you're reminding them that there's other things that are happening in other places, then, you know, we've seen like a great crossover of people that have come to either our platforms, which is really interesting, too. Nice. And how about in terms of distribution channels? Where do your products actually get sold? So we're predominantly just like on our own uh, e-commerce platform. And then we're selective on other boutiques carrying us. So we have a, a yeah, select so amount of boutiques that carry our line or our products. I should say. Yeah, we're primarily direct to consumer, though. We like being able to have people on our site and, you know, engaging that way. And that way we're also controlling, you know, if there's customer service questions and we're able to oversee and that makes us feel better too, that we're more hands-on. See, this is an interesting one. Where does the traffic to your website come from? If we just compare Twitter and Instagram, which one is, is a better driver? I'd probably say for us, Instagram, in mm -hmm. terms of just social media, uh, if it was to compare the two, but then I guess it kind of depends on the day. It fluctuates, but for the majority of the part, it's Instagram. That's cool. So do you think Instagram is, is something that any vegan or any fashion brand should incorporate in, in their marketing strategy? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great way to connect with other like-minded individuals from all over the world. That's what's the great part about it. You're not just pigeonholed in this one region. You can completely, you have access to the whole world within your fingertips. <laughs> so I think every business, especially if you're in fashion, should definitely utilize Instagram. It's a visual platform. It's just this visual diary. Like you cannot get a better place to just, for lack of a better word, shove your products in people's faces, but not in an obvious way. But I mean, that's when it goes back to like understanding aesthetics and branding and how you want to present yourself as a company. So what do you think it is that, that makes a vegan fashion brand successful? Like, obviously, a good Instagram strategy would be one thing, but what other parts should be put in place? Because this is something that, that you mentioned earlier, just, you know, having all those boxes ticked. What makes for a good launch or a good successful brand if we're talking fashion? I think everyone's measure of success is different, right? And I think at the end of the day, you coming out with a business that has a purpose and a mission is already success in itself. Like that's already greater than anything you can do because the mission that you have and the end goal for what your, your company stands for is so above and beyond than what success would even mean. I don't, I don't even know how to like coin that. Yeah. And <laughs> um, that's definitely like one 
big key aspect of it is, you know, to look at it like that. And that's definitely true. I think also just thinking about it for us personally, I honestly think it's not just catering to a specific audience, if you will. So I think a lot of plant-based or vegan or cruelty-free, all these different terminologies, they all mean the same thing in one way or another, right, in this sector. I think a lot of us just have this business for our types of people, if you will. You're like marketing to the same people. And that's great because, yes, you need to let them know that you exist and being on their radar is going to help you in terms of word of mouth and, you know, that awareness and whatnot. But I personally think just catering to the vegan community is really limiting yourself and there needs to be a much larger marketplace that you should be going after. And that's one thing that Comey and I have always done from the beginning is our target market was never that community. We love the community and we know they're going to support it no matter what, because the values and the ethics were all aligned. And we obviously love all those companies. It's mutually supportive, right? But we can't just keep marketing to them because we're not moving forward. Yeah, in order to make a change, you have to get the other people that don't live or embody this lifestyle to understand what's happening. And that's only going to create like a huge movement. Mm -hmm. So our girl, the person that we're always going after and looking to speak to is the girl that you know she's she's a stylish person she cares about fashion but she also cares about these other issues at hand and it's kind of like getting them attracted to your company and your product and our lifestyle first and then they figure out oh wait there, it's also cruelty-free and it's eco-friendly and it's sustainable. Wow, I'm getting all these gifts with purchase. It's working from it backwards almost, if you will. At the end of the day, this is about the bigger picture, like Comey mentioned, you know, uh, creating this awareness and letting them know that there are these alternate options available should they be interested. But how are they going to know that if you're only marketing to the people that already identify? with you yeah so you have to like keep the conversation going right all right so if we look at the broader market for for ethical fashion for cruelty-free brands is there anything in specific that you feel is is still missing from it um i think we are fortunate at a time where there's a lot of um vegan companies that are popping up and that's so awesome to see but there's not a lot of apparel companies, mm-hmm. especially like in the luxury mark. In the set, yeah. Um, and I think that would be really awesome to see. I mean, I know for males, you guys are so limited. <laughs> yeah. um, we are. <laughs> so I think it would be really awesome to see more apparel companies that are paying attention to all these other things that we, you know, mentioned. Like, yeah. I think because you're talking more about like from a runway designer standpoint, right? Right. right. Yeah. And then the luxury sector. Yeah. I would definitely welcome a few more well-designed men's clothing manufacturers or or labels in, in this space. Right. Cool. If, if we stay with the broader picture now and slowly wrap this one up, what is the kind of future that you're helping build with Delicate Rain? Like if, if we're talking best case scenarios and... You have absolute freedom to look 10, 20 years in the best possible future. What does it look like? I think uh, just 
being the reason or contributing to no more animals being harmed in fashion, just like literally ending that. Where compassion and, is just perceived to be the norm. Like people don't right. have to think about it actually. You know, it's kind of like we wake up and we put on our denim jeans and we know those are cruelty free, right? But that's how it should be with everything in your closet. It's just that there's compassion in every product. I mean, obviously, like you said, 20 years from now, it's it's baby steps. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but hopefully that's where we're going with this is we're moving towards a much more compassionate way of living that's openly embraced because it's become the norm. Right. And being that key ingredient to doing that and encouraging other designers to use, you know, to step away from using real leather and fur and all that and making more mindful decisions when they are designing. Give yourself the 30-day challenge. You know, people <laughs> do um, like the diet plans or they say, what is it that it takes 28 days 22 to, days or to yeah. break a habit? Right. So maybe if everyone in all industries gave themselves that challenge just for, you know, a month and see if that works for them, they might be onto something new that they can hopefully incorporate into their product line. Even if it is just that one product yeah. that's still making steps towards a cruelty-free future and making steps towards helping in the bigger picture. Yeah, we always joke around about that. We'll always be like, okay, take on the wardrobe diet, you know, because it's the same way as going, <laughs> having a vegan diet. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're always reading the labels and you're seeing what ingredients. And it's the same thing when you're shopping for ethical clothing, you're totally. reading labels. So it's the same mentality. I love that idea. <laughs> That's definitely a good one. I mean, again, guy limited knowledge of fashion, but um, even I can tell that, that it's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. So we encourage you to get on that then, right? You're going to report back. With... Sign up for the wardrobe diet. <laughs> <laughs> like a do a monthly challenge. Yeah. That's a cool one. All right. So um, I really enjoyed this this talk right now, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing the, the next conversation on, on Plan-Based Business Week. But just to end this, where can people connect with you? Where can they follow your brand? We said Twitter and Instagram, obviously. And most importantly, where, where can they find and buy your products? This is a difficult question, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, our website is www.delicaterain.com. Delicate spelled D-E-L-I-K-A-T-E. And then Rain is R-A-Y-N-E. And um, all our social media handles are Delicate Rain as well. All right. Yeah, that's all going in the show notes. So um, no worries about the spelling. It's all going to be on the website. Oh, great. Um, and uh, right now, Megan Comey, um, thank you very much for your time and for, for sharing your story and your experience and knowledge and the um, passion challenge idea. I really like that one. You should definitely do something about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, really looking forward to Plant-Based Business Week with you. And until then, have an amazing day. You too. We look forward to it. Stay awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so that was Megan Comibora from Delicate Rain. Delicate with a K and Rain with a Y and E. But like I said, don't worry about the spelling because you can find all the links to their website and social media, plus anything else that we talked about in this interview 
in the show notes. If you go to theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 039. And of course, you'll be able to catch Megan Comey on their interview for Plan-Based Business Week in the fashion module. So if you haven't reserved your seat for the event yet, go do it now. It's free and you can attend from anywhere in the world because all the interviews will be uploaded to the event website. So go to planbasedbusinessweek.com, click on the big yellow button that says reserve my spot and I'll see you there. Now that wraps up episode 39 of the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tune in again next week for another great interview. And until then, stay awesome. And remember, the future is plant-based.